Ulterior. So, right after I finished last week's episode, everything went to either shit or transcended, depending on which NBA team you align with, because there were trades and fucking everything else happening, Kevin Durant and the Suns now, Patrick Beverly from Obama's fucking crazy, buddy B would it be, and yeah, a lot of shit went on with there, um, NFL season is over. I don't really care. I, I didn't have a say between Eagles and Chiefs ending a little bit, um, a little bit sus, but ultimately, fuck it, we ball. And while all that was happening, the scene itself had potentially, probably, likely one of the busiest weeks of the entire year for everything that was going on as far as like records and singles. And I'm here to discuss all of it, or most of it rather, at least what was within my uh, peripheral vision. So, uh, this episode, I'm looking at brand new singles from likes of The Plot and You, Dead Lakes, Earth Groans, Rivals, and Fuelers I Want to Get Through, and then brand new albums by Yumi at Six, Distant, Pierce the Veil, and Paramore. What the fuck? Thank you for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Yes, I saw the tweet about Gojira's merch prices. Yes, I understand bands need to eat. It is what it is. Support them. Um, support me as well. Not that I uh, am more deserving of any love and adoration and support than the bands do. They actually deserve it way more than me. I'm just a little shitty podcaster with a god complex, perhaps, and some uh, manic tendencies. But whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, for whatever reason, I'm not even really sure why. For the entire duration of this podcast's existence, it has only been on Spotify. And that was not really like me doing something where I'm like, oh yeah, Spotify is going to sponsor me one day. I don't give a fuck about that. Actually, I do because that's probably like money involved and I like money. But um, yeah, I don't really, really know why that was the case. So this week I am making it a point to get the show up on every other service possible. So now it is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, whatever the fuck else there is, it's going to be on there. So if you are hearing this for the first time through means other than Spotify, thank you so much. And this will be where you can find the episodes weekly. And through these episodes, you can hear me waffle about my favorite shit from the scene during the week, just like I'm about to do right now. The number one ranked song for Senior Global this week came from The Plot in You, and it is Left Behind. I feel like it has been a minute since a song moved me to tears the way that Left Behind did. Like, legitimately, no, uh, you know, hyperbole or any of that shit. It was so hard to hear the chorus for the first time and not have so many feelings within me surface. And it's also been that way every time I listen to this song over the last few days. I think The Plot and You have been one of the most consistent acts in the scene for almost a decade now. And the cool thing about them beyond so many other aspects is like the, uh, the range and the versatility shown in their work. And I say that because I believe that happiness and self-destruction is a perfect metalcore record and then Dispose became a perfect experimental record. And even if I'm not as high now on Swan Song as I was when I initially reviewed it, I think it still proudly shows off a lot of the strengths of the plot in you. And the consistency will not only continue, but also be accentuated because there's certainly a new record coming with Divide and Left Behind as lead singles. And the comparison that I feel like uh, is appropriate right now, it has to do with Bring Me the Horizon and their world for That's the Spirit. Let's just forget for a second that Drown existed and look at how Happy Song and Throne played out as part of that album's rollout. Happy Song was something that leaned into the, like, slightly heavier direction on the spectrum of bringing at the time and then throne just dove fucking headfirst into alternative rock in one of the most sensational manners i've ever seen a band undertake 
In my opinion right now, that is what the plot in you has going for them. Divide has the elements to appease audiences that are more rooted in metalcore, and then left behind fucking soars in the brightest of ways in a chorus where... I am not sure if Lan has ever sounded better in his career. Everything for Left Behind came together as it should have, and the immaculate result is the displaying of the plot in you as one of the best bands in the world as they always have been. Brand new single out right now by Dead Lakes. It is called Strange Juice. I'm not sure about Juice, but for sure Dead Lakes be putting crack in this shit on God, bro, because they have not missed on anything that they've done in their entire career thus far. I remember that when I put Stamina, which was their last single, at like number 26, I think it was, in the year-end top 100 songs list, I said that that was nasty business on my end. It, it wasn't nasty enough, for real, for real, because Strange Juice is already one of the best songs I've heard so far this year. Dead Lakes have mastered choruses and catchy hooks in a way that should really be foreign to a band of their magnitude thus far, but they have extra spot because they're just that fucking good and undeniable. Um, I really, really admire the progression between the first and second verses and how the latter ramps up its pacing just slightly enough for me to notice the band becoming more energetic and loose after delivering maybe the course of their careers. And included with this single came the announcement of Dead Lake's debut album called Daydreamer out on March 31st, and the agenda that is going to be initiated for this fucking record is not planted. It is earned because I think I can count on one hand the amount of acts in the scene recently who have hooped harder than Dead Lake's. Let me talk about Earthgrown for a second, brand new single out right now, Overgrown. This is off of the band's new EP called Tongue Tied, which is set to be released on March 3rd, and we back up with Metalcore Dog. This song is fucking sick. Um, I admittedly don't have an extensive knowledge of Earthgrown's discography, but of their material that I have listened to and or reviewed in the past, Overgrown clears in a fucking massive way. There is never once a moment in this song that lets up its blistering nature, and in the same breath, the guitar work kind of like... Um, like embodying a more emotional note towards the midpoint really helped elevate Overgrown from being already a great metalcore song to something that I feel very comfortable and confident in positioning in the upper echelon of what the genre has been able to produce in the last year or so. Overgrown achieves everything that a metalcore band should set out to, it is heavy, it's emotional, it's still catchy, it's still thunderous. Everything about Overgrown works, and I am just fucking thrilled that that is the case, and that there is an EP for me to have excitement over in the very near future. They Won't Love You is what I say to myself very regularly, but then it's also the name of the brand new Rival song. I feel like I've said whenever Rivals drop something that I am rooting for them because the talent within this band is beyond fucking evident from some of their stuff like Dangerous or Dark Matter or a couple of songs off of Sad Looks Pretty on me. But at large, I am still waiting for them to have that one definitive body of work that I can point to and say brought Rivals up to the same pedestal that some of their contemporaries have held on to. They Won't Love You has this almost eerie vibe to it in how slow the song paces itself while still packing this emotion from Kaylee that you can't help but just like sit back and take a minute to process and understand the pain that is being conveyed here, whether it just be as an onlooker or someone who can identify with what she is saying in a deeper context. 
they won't love you is uncomfortable and that makes it something so special for me to listen to and it's the kind of song where to kind of go back to what i was mentioning earlier about wanting that one definitive work from rivals if you take something like this and dangerous dark matter pack it into an album rollout i don't see how rivals don't get to that point because they are delivering on every note right now and this is exactly the kind of behavior i have wanted from them for so fucking long so, um, this is kind of surreal to say, but I'm going to talk about a Linkin Park song, Lost. There could and one day will be an entire episode covering just Linkin Park because they are genuinely and literally the reason why I even got into scene music back when I was six years old. They are the most important band that I will ever be exposed to in my lifetime. And to have something like Loss feels like unearthing something that could have been a shaping piece of my childhood per se had it actually made it onto Meteora. Um, from a sonic standpoint... I can hear Meteora in Loss, but I also get some flares of Living Things, which dates Meteora by almost a decade. So it is really interesting to understand just how far back that experimentation on the part of Linkin Park traced. And having a, a new bit of material with Chester's voice really puts me in this headspace where I feel thankful to be able to celebrate his impact, but I can't sit here and say that it's not a struggle to get through at the same time because hearing his voice in this day and age beyond just thinking like fuck this man is so good was so good it's also he should be here like really 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 should be and he's not that fucking sucks and it will always suck and it is something that I will never have the answers for like how to process because it's been, it's going to be six years, right? This year. And I still don't have a way of coping with it because it's, fuck, that's crazy. Um, This song is amazing and I am thankful to have it. And I'll be thankful to have whatever else is coming as part of the 20-year edition of Meteora. There were a lot of singles that I wanted to talk about extensively this week, but I need to make some time for the album. So the last single I'm going to go in detail on comes from Imminent, and it is called Jaded. This is their first bit of new material since the album Heaven and Hiding, which was the final record that I reviewed for season one of Ulterior, so there's a bit of an extra connection to myself for that reason. Um, I think Eminence continue to prove themselves as one of the most unique and necessary metalcore bands in the scene whenever they're active, because there is a certain enigmatic presence of their music that I can't find anywhere else. Um... The symphonic shit really, really does a lot to help further push these concepts of imminence, and it's all intertwined beautifully with the heavy style of genre that these boys from Sweden have figured out how to navigate perfectly. There are so many, like, twists and turns in Jaded that I feel have become patented to the delivery on the part of imminence, and it's just another example of them, like I said, being so unique and being so true to themselves and being the kind of band that the scene could use more of because there's nobody right now doing it like imminence. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. 246 Toothpicks by After Elmer. The Great Depression by Alt. Slow Mo by Astral. Dark Waves by Attack Attack. Paralyzed Until We Meet Again by Attack Attack. Dynasty by Brand of Sacrifice. Nowhere Ohio by Can't Swim. Control Alt Consume by Chemical Youth. What I've Lost by Classic Jack. All Flexes No Xs by DeBerg featuring Codis. Evil Finds Light by Drain. 
It Hurts by Enter Shikari, Romanticized by Heirloom featuring Taylor Barber, Critical Condition by Isotopes, Do or Die by Magnolia Park featuring Ethan Ross, TKO by Nightwell, Anxiety by A Virtue, Snow in Tokyo by Secret Keeper, Alien by The Funeral Portrait, Delusions of Grandeur by Trashboat, World of Malice by Unity Texas, Godhead by Vale of Maya, Shallow Life by Your Misery, and New Mercedes by Young Pinch. There was actually no single last week that got below a 4, so this was, like, by a statistic standpoint, the best week so far for singles in Ulterior in 2023, and that is fucking sick. Let's keep up that energy for real, for real. And now I'm going to go ahead and proceed into the albums for last week. There were four to get through, and I legitimately don't even know, like, where to start, how I should start, because there are... There's a lot to get through, and there were some really, really, really big ones to get through. Um, okay, let's start on a bit of a downer, a bit of a sour note in some ways. Not all the ways, but some of them. The brand new album by Pierce the Veil called The Jaws of Life. If we're going to do this, then we got to do it the right way, yeah? Yeah. So, let me talk to you about Pierce the Veil. Even if I know all of you listening right now, know who they are, and there is a probable chance that you like them yourselves to some extent, whether that be minute or great. For myself, it has been monstrous and so fucking important to the development of my love for scene music, especially in formative years like the early 2010s, because there was a shift when Selfish Machines dropped. Maybe not culturally the same way that it was for Collide with the Sky, but personally to my own taste in music, still to this day, you cannot tell me shit about Selfish Machines and the person that I become whenever I have Spotify on shuffle and fucking Carefernalia or The Boy Who Could Fly or Besitos comes on. She Was Covered in Blood, last seen in San Francisco, is a fucking print on my brain and heart and I don't know what my high school years look or sound like without that record. And even with this Selfish Machines praise I'm conveying right now to you guys, Collide with the Sky is the band's most acclaimed work for a reason, and I understand how many people might not be into the scene right now without King for a Day, and even if I might believe that song is perhaps overrated in a lot of senses, it is a part of our history. It is a benchmark. It helped make Pierce Savelle the revered act that they are and place them in the same limelight as My Chemical Romance or Fall Out Boy. We all have a Pierce Savelle story. I fully believe that. And mine goes through what I just said. Those formative years into now my time in adulthood. And they've kind of been almost non-existent in some ways since then. Because the last album before Jaws of Life was Misadventures. And that dropped in May of 2016, almost seven years ago. I had not yet even attended the college that I eventually graduated from. That is how fucking far back Misadventures was. And the thing about Misadventures was when I initially listened to that record, I didn't know entirely how to feel about it because I could understand what songs like uh, Circles, Texas is Forever, what they meant to me, but I couldn't understand yet what Flora and Fading would or what Today I Saw the Whole World would. That took time. That was a process for me to really understand and god I, I didn't know at what point in the review i was going to get negative so to kind of piggyback off of the misadventure shit i will go ahead and say this now about the jaws of life i am hopeful that what i just said about misadventures growing on me over time that is what ends up happening here because as it stands a lot of the material especially in the middle of the jaws of life is more miss than hit. Um, okay, how about I do this? Let me go back to the initiation of the Jaws of Life's cycle. Because when 
Pass to Nirvana released at the beginning of September in 2022, I knew right away this was going to be a different album, so I'm not complaining about the change of sound. Pass to Nirvana made it very fucking clear that the post-hardcore Pierce Valley I grew up with, that wasn't going to be a thing anymore. And I was okay with that because of how insanely fucking goaded I believe Pass Nirvana is. It's heavy without trying too hard. It finds comfort in the grounds of like grunge and sort of inspired shit like that. And something that really helped elevate my adoration for Pass Nirvana came from getting to hear it live as part of the True Power Tour and the energy in the room, the pride within Pierce the Veil in getting to play this brand new song, the way everybody just sang the lines back to Vic, because every single fucking day I try to roll my eyes and breathe one hit and I'm off this shit. It was a moment in time. It was something that I am never, ever going to forget. And putting Pastor Nirvana number five on the year-end list for 2022 was not some kind of a push for me to convince myself that Pierce the Veil were hooping again. They really, 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 really fucking wore on Pastor Nirvana. And they wore on Emergency Contact as well. Emergency Contact is just so emotional and the way that is able to kind of balance that tone with something very like shoulder moving foot tapping head nodding to pierce the veil's style in this day and age i thought emergency contact was a really successful fucking single and i'm gonna use this time now to kind of bring me towards a little bit more of the apathetic side of me for this record and then into the negative aspects there is a song, Even When I'm Not With You, and I remember defending it pretty heavily to some people through DMs on Discord and Twitter and Instagram, and then also coming on this show and saying, yeah, it's a really good song. I still do think it's a good song, but hearing it in the context of The Jaws of Life, my connection to that song has diminished pretty significantly in some ways and then it took me listening to the remainder of the album to understand the faults that i'm able to find within even when i'm not with you because can i really listen to that song and the opening track death of an executioner and put them on the same level as one another fucking no absolutely fucking not dog death of an executioner has this flair to it that does respark some of the characteristics of pierce Deville that i grew up idolizing while embracing something a little bit akin to like the uh the theatrical parts of cinematics by set it off that was just like something that it reminded me of for whatever reason i think it is a perfect opening song in the sense that it's one of the best songs on this record but i don't think it's perfect in establishing what the predominant sound on the jaws of life is because as the album progresses it hits a point where the songs take on this slower pacing and it's done so unapologetically i will at least give pierceville credit for really sticking to this idea because they clearly believed in it enough to put flawless execution into the title track into damn the man save the empire and it, it's probably not even a bad sequence necessarily just in my opinion my old head ass opinion for this case i think it's boring and a deviation from what captivates me about this band and then that leads into resilience which to me is like the pillar and the benchmark of what about the jaws of life is so uninteresting and uninspiring i wanted to fall asleep the first time i heard the song and then subsequently every instance afterwards when i was listening to the album more and more again to try to get an understanding of what it is i really feel and what i really want to say about the jaws of life it's just not effective in any sense of the phrasing i believe resilience um the ending three song stretch for the most part does not really help the case of this album as i think that shared trauma and 12 fractures really just continue to bring down the record but in between those songs is So Far So Fake, which is doing as much of a carry job for the last half of this record as I have seen from any album in the prior months and years and whatever span uh, encompasses my covering of Ulterior. For me, 
this track is right there with Pass Nirvana and Emergency Contact and Death of an Executioner as like the things that are really, really holding up the jaws of life. I think so far so fake for not really being in alignment with anything older from Pierceville that I connect with. It is fucking tremendous. I cannot get enough of this song and just how immaculate I think its delivery is. But what that ends up meaning is that this is a 12-song, 7-year wait of an album that I believe has 4 songs on it that I am going to keep with me. And... This review would not come across as harshly as it probably does if it were by a newer band or a band who I do not have this establishment beforehand with. But it's Pierce the Fucking Veil. One of the biggest acts that has ever graced my life in the totality of my investment in music. And that is what makes this such a difficult record to review honestly and truthfully, because the honest truth is that I don't think this is very good. Um, this isn't gossip or like house on fire or a uh, suicide silent self-titled levels of bad, but the disappointment that I feel towards this is comparable to like, say uh, we came as Roman self-titled or underworld um, I guess just kind of like circle back to what I mentioned earlier. If there is a silver lining, it would be that I was able to grow this adoration for misadventures that was not there initially. Maybe there is a chance that the material I don't feel drawn to on the jaws of life becomes staples for myself later on, but I cannot base this review off of what may happen. It has to center around how I feel at this point in time. And currently, I think this is the worst Pierce the Veil album to date and one of the most deflating experiences I have had with a record in my time of doing Ulterior. It's strange that I'm about to talk about my favorite album of the week, second out of four, but it's kind of what has to happen for the flow of this show to make sense right now. Here is the brand new album by Yumi at Six called Truth Decay. Here is a quick story about Yumi at 6 as it pertains to the ulterior platform because this whole shit started back in January 2021 and in the time that I was reviewing material in my head with the intention of putting it out onto a website that never came to fruition, the first like quote unquote major release of that time for me to review was Sucker Punch, which was the last Yumi at 6 album. And I... Remember being pretty, um, pretty excited for it, honestly. Uh, the album beforehand, Six, I believed was a massive step in the right direction for this band. And the, like, danceable nature to some of the tracks on Six, it gave me hope for Yumi at Six because Yumi at Six is a band who, in some ways, I've always championed and I've always had some form of a connection to if for no reason other than because my first exposure to them was through bite my tongue which features ollie sykes so that became one of my favorite collaborative tracks in the history of scene music and going from sinners never sleep into cavalier youth i believed this was a band who had a proven track record when it comes to the effectiveness on their end whenever they're hooping. And whenever they're hooping, guys, Yumi at six really, really can be one of the best bands in the world. But you wouldn't have been able to notice that if you listened to Sucker Punch because, all due respect, that album is a two-pack of ass. I think it's got one song worth even mentioning that is Serotonin Season, and it wasn't even part of the original release. It's on the deluxe, so... Yeah, Yumi at 6, not making any points whatsoever on Sucker Punch. Uh, the artwork, whack. The name, whack. The songs, whack. But Truth Decay, tight as fuck. I called the name whack, even though Maggie Linneman did the same thing, and I 
gassed her up for it, but let it be. Let me cook. Something that I remember about the rollout for Truth Decay was getting on this podcast back in July to talk about Deep Cuts because that was the lead single for the record. And it was also the introduction for Yumi at Six to Rise Records. And everything about Deep Cuts, from the song itself to the music video directed by Ali Appleyard from Static Dress, it worked tremendously well in erasing what I perceived Yumi at Six to be in the Sucker Punch era and indoctrinate them in this really fucking magnificent way. I heard that song and I thought, man, they've got it. They found it. That catchiness, that singability, the danceability, everything about Yumi at Six that invigorates my interest in scene music, they found it again. There were more singles afterwards to really show just how good the band would sound on Truth Decay. Uh, no Future Yeah Right featuring Rue Reynolds from Enter Shikari just kind of brought that aggression and that attitude forth for Truth Decay. Um, Mixed Emotions has this just fucking earworm of a chorus that strikes every chord I need within my taste to really satisfy what I'm hearing. And my dopamine, I... Loved this song right from the beginning. It was like number one for Cynic Overlook, I believe the second week of this year. And my affinity for my dopamine has only been able to expand in the context of True Decay. The idea of a Yumi at Six album working in 2023, and not just working, but working in a way that makes it this enthralling ride should not have been able to be the case, especially coming off of Sucker Punch. I keep going back to that record, but like you guys need to understand how just fucking, how much of a gut punch, no pun intended, that album was to my fandom towards this band. And they didn't just pick themselves up, they beat the shit out of their contemporaries in doing so. I think a late single was God Bless the Nice Kid. It is the third track on here, and I have seen some discourse, heard some discourse pertaining to the song in very not nice ways, but you know what? I really, really like God Bless the Nice Kids. I think it has a giant chorus. It's very catchy, uh, very cool in that sense, and yeah, I'm a nice kid too, so like, you know, that's cool. Um, although right now, there's a girl who was born in 2000 that's got me in But fuck it, we ball. By ball, I mean ball my eyes out. I do think that one song that had the potential to somewhat deter the direction of Truth Decay, it could have been Breakdown. And I say that because Breakdown does kind of venture off into a different territory, and it's not so driven by, like, anthemic sounds the way that the rest of the record is. It's a lot more experimental, but I think it still works out pretty well. It's not my favorite song on the record in any scenario whatsoever, but it still has a purpose here. And as for what could be deemed my favorite on the record, there are three songs later on in the album that I turn to and I say, these three have something or some things very, very special about them. Who Needs Revenge When I've Got Ellen Ray, A Smile to Make You Weaker at the Knees, and A Love Letter to Those Who Feel Lost. So, Who Needs Revenge When I've Got Ellen Ray, what I mentioned earlier about, like, anthemic sounds, this song just fucking oozes that. I think everything that is happening here is so catchy and just has this energetic styling that I think works so much to the favor and the strengths of Yumi at Six. A Smile to Make You Weaker at the Knees, it reminds me a lot of Cheap Shots and Setbacks by As It Is, just in the way that it sounds and the way that it flows, and... I, again, think this is an element where the band just excels in every aspect. And the closing song, A Love Letter to Those Who Feel Lost, it features Cody Frost, who recently was on uh, Bull by Shikari, if you guys remember that song or if you've heard of it. And it scales things back really, really big. And maybe this comes across hypocritically because I just kind of panned Pierce Veil for doing something similar, but with Yumi at Six and A Love Letter, this song is just everything that I believe the closer for Truth Decay needed to be and it should have been. It is beautiful, it is enchanting, it is gutting in all the right ways. Just an amazing fucking art piece of a song, It is as bluntly as I can put it.
Truth Decay was my favorite record last week. And again, it's weird to be talking about it second out of fourth in the placement here, considering how strongly in favor I feel about it. But this was amazing. Like, tr- truly, genuinely fucking stellar. Yumi at six followed up potentially the worst album of their careers with potentially the best. And I don't know how that happens, especially in this day and age, so far into their tenure, but it happened. And I am so fucking thankful that it happened because I get to talk about Yumi at six in this uberly positive limelight once again and do it on a platform like Ulterior and do it for an audience like you guys who maybe listen to this, maybe you haven't, but regardless, there is something here for everybody and I am privileged to have been able to experience Truth Decay. There is a brand new album out right now by Distant. It is called Heritage. In a lot of ways, Distant feels like the odd band out this week in the record reviews, and to no fault of their own, I don't mean this in any kind of a disparaging manner, but they are a deathcore band that is mixed in with two of the biggest scene bands in history, and then another band who have longevity on their side. But I also think that Distant being part of this lineup fucking rules, because there is nothing else from this week I can talk about that sounds like them. They are almost as good of a, like, snapshot or a bookmark as one can provide for what Deathcore sounds like today when it's performed at the highest possible level. The album is introduced in this cinematic sort of style through Acid Rain, which, while just an intro song, the frantic tone in its buildup to start the album, leading into Paradigm Shift, is perfect, and there's immediately this synchronicity between Distant and the listener. If you are just getting into Distant through this album, then I, I think one of the most evident things upon hearing Paradigm Shift is just how good Alan is on vocals, and how his particular form of growling complements the dystopian futuristic style of Distant's production. There are a lot of characteristics to Distant that separate them from other current deathcore acts like Lorna Shore or uh, Crown Magnetar, just to give examples, because their brand of the genre, it's not so rooted in like crazy technical sequences and, you know, blast beats and all that shit. A lot of what happens here is maybe by definition basic for what is perceived to be deathcore by some audiences, but Distant does not lack in brutality and any of the necessary suits in delivering effective deathcore. And you can sense that across the strand from Born of Blood through Exofilth because the breakdowns are just fucking disgusting at points and it helped make this experience all the more exciting because I want that out of deathcore. I want those moments where I'm just kind of like wincing at how fucking ear grating it sounds, and I mean ear grating in the most complimentary of ways. There's also the song Argent Justice, which was essentially made up by just trying to get as many people from Deathcore into one track, like some Avengers crossover type shit, and I think for what it is, it's a lot of fun. Maybe unnecessary or overkill, but still fun. And for the sake of crediting every artist, I will go ahead and just read off everybody that's featured on Argent Justice. I remember reviewing the album. I said it featured a lot of motherfuckers because I just literally could not fit everybody into one graphic. Okay. Thomas Clare from Abbey Falls. Kevin Peterson from Arcanius. Marcus Jasek from Arcanius. Casey Tyson Pierce from Angel Maker. Colton Bennett from Angel Maker. Mike Greenwood from Angel Maker. Kyle Medina from Body Snatcher. Andreas Bulver from Cable. Andrew Baina from Carcosa, Johnny Kiardlo, I should have fucking looked this up, Kiardlo from Carcosa, I apologize if I butchered that, I probably did, 
Dan Tucker from Crab Magnetar, Frankie Palmieri from Amur, Mark Zellweger from Paleface, Eddie Armida from Suicide Silence, Aaron Matz from 1056, and Devin Duarte from Warm Shepherd. I fucked up so many names there, and I apologize because y'all really did show out for Arcing Justice, and I appreciate that. Um, for myself, there are two songs that were able to stand out above the rest in terms of achieving what it is that Distance set out to, and they do happen to appear back-to-back, so that's a really cool sequence. Human Scum, which I felt was able to ramp up some of the pacing to Heritage in a really big way, and it's the kind of song that it feels not really like... Uh, like a summarization of what the record sounds like, but rather it feels like another notch in what the album is already bringing forth. And then there is the title track featuring Will Ramos from Lorna Shore. Regardless of anything that I've said about Lorna Shore as an act that maybe I rescind, maybe I don't, we'll see. Will is still him when it comes to deathcore. He is the face of the genre and for good reason and having him be included on the tile truck it really really helped elevate it in a lot of great ways i did go four out of five rather than five out of five for the closing song plague breeder and my thought process in that was just i, I kind of felt like the album should have closed out on a song that maybe has a bit more of this energetic pacing and nature to it like human scum rather than something that is more so feeling like a giant breakdown through Plague Breeder. It's a good song still. It's fine. I don't have a problem with it in that sense. Just maybe the issue came with it being the closer necessarily. Ultimately, I really enjoyed Heritage. I thought the album did what it was meant to in terms of having Distant deliver these really like grotesque yet organic deathcore sounds that I will just never not have this affinity for. Deathcore is really not a hard genre to satisfy me in. You just have to like, you know, check certain boxes. I think Distant have been able to do that almost effortlessly. So yeah, Heritage Rules, Distant Rules. If you're into Deathcore, go check it out. And for the final album of the episode, the fact that this released the same day as the Jaws of Life is fucking insane, but it's what happened. So let's go into it now. This is Why by Paramore. I said this about Pierce the Veil just minutes ago, and I'm going to say it about Paramore as well. If I'm going to do this, I got to do it the right way. Paramore, they don't need an introduction. All of you know who they are. All of you have listened to Paramore before. All of you have a favorite Paramore song. I don't really care which one it is. It's part two, by the way. But you all have a Paramore story. Just like I do. Just like fucking... um. Armin eating behind me might have a Paramore story because I have listened to Paramore so many times around Blood. Paramore really, really, really were and still are to this day one of the most important, most influential, most impactful bands that has ever come into my stratosphere. And for the rest of my life, that is what they will be. I was probably like. 10, 11, no, I had to have been 11, when I first came across Emergency on YouTube, and going down that rabbit hole of just listening to the rest of All We Know Is Falling, and hearing pressure and conspiracy, and just immediately gravitating towards this band and falling in love with them, Riot, one of the greatest albums of all time in my opinion and the consistency of that record in the way that to this day 16 years after the fact those songs still hit as fucking hard as they did back then i do not care how many times i hear that's what you get or how overplayed it is that chorus comes on i am just screaming out my fucking lungs that's what you get when you let your heart win because it's still that fucking song to this day so is crush 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 so is misery business so is miracle everything about it still has this chokehold on me when brand new eyes happened i don't feel like there was a shift for paramore 
but I felt like it was the continuation of a band just displaying their brilliance in every possible facet of their being and their characters. And the way that I don't know if that album really like came full circle for myself until a few months ago at when we were young, when they finally played All I Want and seeing videos of Haley hitting that high note, just everything about All I Want and subsequently all of Brand New Wise continuing to show me that Paramore are that fucking band. Self-titled. I'm just going through every album now. I don't know why. Self-titled is amazing. I think it is one of the coolest things to come out in the last 10 years. I say 10 years because I think it hits 10 years in like two months or something. Um, I, I just mentioned part two being my favorite Paramore song. Part two is one of the most just brilliant, epic things I've ever listened to in my life. Yeah, I want to talk about After Laughter for a second because I feel like not many people do, but I will. After Laughter is great. I fucking love that record. I think Rose Colored Boy is like a top tier Paramore song. So is Told You So. Everything, not everything actually, but most of After Laughter has been able to age really, really well for myself in the last six years since its release. And I would, I would have been content with a expansion on that sound for the next Paramore record, whatever that ended up being. And so now that brings us to This Is Why. And I feel like with the rollout for This Is Why, there was a lot established in terms of where Paramore would be going and how potentially this would be something that, depending on your entry point for Paramore and what you really favor in their material, maybe you would gravitate towards this and maybe you wouldn't. There was definitely that risk. Um, I knew it off of lead single, the title track, and how I remember telling people like, my initial feelings about This Is Why were that it was a good song that I might not have heard had it not been from Paramore. Because if this just came from like some random indie band out there, I might not have really taken it like too much to heart. Yet, because it's Paramore and because this was the comeback single, I felt like I couldn't get enough of it. And the talk track for This Is Why only grew on me from then on out. But that's the key phrasing there. Grew on me. It had to grow on me. It wasn't this immediate attachment. Yet, the news was. The news is fucking amazing. Potentially my favorite song on the entire album. The news right from the beginning just captured me. And then as you get to the chorus and Haley just kind of lets her voice soar through the lines, turn off the news, turn on the news, and just how enchanting she sounds in that. Seikom Sa is just dumb catchy. Like, it's probably one of the lesser songs on here in terms of what I thought was perfect, but again, it's still perfect. Seikom Sa is just fucking magnificent. And then getting into the album itself, I feel like what I've said about the title track and then the news, if you combine a lot of those elements, I feel like the end result would be running out of time because running out of time has these verses that are just kind of quiet and mellow in a lot of ways, but you can sense angst there. You can hear something building and then it gets to the chorus, which might not be like super explosive, at least within the confines of Paramore's material, but that eruption is still emphatic and it's still a chorus that I've not been able to let out of my head for anything over the last few days. I do not necessarily want to call these misses, but there are two songs on this album that just were not able to stick with me the way that the news or running out of time did those being big man little dignity and crave and to me there's just like something stylistically about those two songs where it goes back a little bit to what i was mentioning about the middle stretch for the jaws of life it's just a little bit too like drawn out and in some ways admittedly boring for myself at least as it pertains to what it is from Paramore that I really really look for and what I look for sometimes is just this very like pop centric nature that is catchy and able to 
uh, pull me in. And I think on you first and figure eight, I am able to have those urges be satisfied, especially with figure eight and how the instrumentation is a little bit quirky, a little bit out of place. But again, that's fucking stellar. And it's an element of Paramore's um, identity that I really, really fuck with. I think that the closing song, Thick Skull, is very well done in terms of how it's able to kind of start off slow and build itself up to the point where the song doesn't necessarily have this like aggressive tone to it, but it's still something that contrasts the intro portion enough for me to say that Thick Skull was able to take me on this journey that in some ways kind of acts as like a, a cumulative effort on the part of Paramore in terms of just relaying like what you learned through This Is Why and how they're able to cap off the experience. For myself, This Is Why is good. And maybe it might be really good, but as it stands right now, I am looking at it as a body of work that is just good. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, if I want to be a little bit more cynical and a little bit more specific, if I put This Is Why up against the entire discography of Paramore that as it stands right now, I would put this last. I do not prefer this over After Laughter or Self-Titled or anything that came before it. And again, I, I don't mean that in a bad way because I am still acknowledging that This Is Why is good. And I think running out of time, Figure Eight, You First, The News, these songs are going to be with me for a really long time. And I feel like Paramore made the exact album that they wanted to in this day and age, and I commend them for that. And I hope that every Paramore fan who waited six years for this shit got what they wanted out of it. I hope those people just adore this record. And in some ways, I adore it too. Do I adore it to the extent that I would have liked to have? Right now, no. But it's fine. Because I understand what they were going for on This Is Why, and I feel no sense of apathy towards them for that. If anything, I feel pride. I am happy that we got a Paramore album in this day and age that aligns with who they are as people and what their interests are. And ultimately, that probably does outweigh my selfish desire for another Riot or another Brand New Eyes. I'm not getting that, so getting this instead was just immaculate. And that's it. That was every single and album for me to review from last week. This is a packed week, guys. It was really, really busy. Um, for the most part, the music was great. I actually did enjoy getting to tell you guys about all this shit. And I'm hopeful for more weeks like this throughout the year. And I'm sure there will be. You know, some of the weeks like coming and months coming look barren right now just because we're still early into the year. But as we progress through the months, I am more than certain that bands are going to cook, shit's going to get crazy, and this podcast will take off in some ways, in some instances, some cases. That was strangely optimistic. I actually don't know what the fuck is going to happen, but just stay tapped in and see what does happen, I guess. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're hearing this on a platform other than Spotify, like Apple or Google, please let me know because I would really like to know how many people are venturing outside of Spotify to hear this for the first time. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene. 